Hunter podcast for the 4th of May 2022. May the 4th be with you. May the 4th. It's actually technically the 3rd still as I record this, but Star Wars Day when you hear this. So happy Star Wars Day to you. I am Derek Hunter. I am your host. Thank you for a download and share and telling a friend all that good stuff. Appreciate the uh, kind words and everything that everybody uh, sends my way at DerekAllenHunter at gmail.com. A L L A N. Is how you spell Alan there. All one word. And, of course, don't forget that I really appreciate everybody who goes to patreon.com slash Derek Hunter podcast uh, to support the program. Either you, you sign up for the weekend effort review. You don't even have to listen to it if swearing isn't your thing. But, you know, for five bucks a month, it really helps out. I appreciate the hell out of it. Um, before we get on with the program, give you an update. I want to thank personally everybody for sending nice emails and saying about uh, that they're praying for my father. Much appreciated. Please keep them coming. The update is um, he's doing better. He got a, He's still not allowed to drink or eat anything, and that's bothering him. He said he'd, he'd bribe, my sister says he'd bribe anybody with anything for a, a cup of coffee, but they're still draining him. They've drained over... Probably by this point, 28 to 30 pounds of stuff stuck in him. It's coming out his nose and the other end, too. But the through the drain through the nose, it was 25 pounds as of yesterday. They finally pinched that off, and they're putting the dye in to see, like, if there's a blockage or if there's movement. There has been movement. His bowels are making sounds again, which is good. They weren't apparently making any sounds on Saturday when they went in. So things have been moving. He has been going to the bathroom again, which is nice. He's gone actually quite a bit in the last couple of days where normally he'd go like once a week or twice a week. Now he's gone like four times in one day, which is a great sign. Uh, On the bad news front, thank God it wasn't serious, but he got up to go to the bathroom at like 3.30 in the morning and uh, fell as he hasn't eaten anything since Saturday, and I'm sure he's exhausted and whatever and out of it. But I know my dad, you know, like, supposed to buzz the nurses, but I can do it. I don't need it buzzing. But he didn't hurt himself. He said, he told my brother that he fell slow and soft, whatever that means, and probably got dizzy and, like, kind of crumpled down. Whatever it is, he now knows that he'll get his ass kicked if he does that again. And if he has to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, he's got to buzz for the nurses. That's what they're paid for. So hopefully he'll do that. But hopefully if this dye test and they're x-raying him like every couple of hours and we'll check them all in the morning to see if there's still a blockage or if it's moved, if there is still a blockage, if it has moved, uh, if those things are happening or if it, you know, hopefully um, has moved out and moved on and is gone, then they can start him on some liquids and then maybe by tomorrow night, probably Thursday morning, back on some soft foods and then he can get on some regular foods 
and he's going to have to change his diet a little bit, and he's going to have to take Miralax every single day, but he will hopefully be out by Thursday or Friday at the latest, I hope. I'm hoping. So keep praying for that. I appreciate all of the kind words. Uh, I wish I could just jet off over there, but thank God I've got siblings who can be there. I feel douchey and horrible son not being able to go there, but and he's like, don't come. That's just my dad. But uh, still, you wish you could be there. But I appreciate all the prayers and everything. And uh, once he gets out, hopefully he gets out very soon. Like I said, I don't like it. Nobody likes anybody they love in the hospital because uh, it's just not a good place to be. So hopefully he can get home very soon. And then I can get out there on a weekend. Uh, but right now, like I was talking to my sister, and she's like, it's sitting around in the hospital. You just kind of get in the way. So... There you go. Anyway, I appreciate all the prayers and everything. So thanks for that. And that's, you know, that's the update. And I do appreciate everybody asking. And don't forget to go to patreon.com slash Derek Hunter podcast. My dad gets a kick out of the fact that people uh, listen to me swear. Because if I swear too much around him, especially if I say the F word, he looks at me and like, watch, watch your language. He does not like cursing around women. He's very uh, old-fashioned in that sense. So... But he does get a kick because I have to. When I'm at his house, I have to go out in the garage and swear. And he's like, "Kim, you got to go swear out there." What? What? Oh, jeez. But uh, I appreciate it. So thank you for that. Now let's get on with the program. There are some days when you sit there and you go, "Well, there's not a lot going on." And theoretically, technically, I suppose there's not a lot going on. But what's going on is a lot. <laughs> And that's uh, the big story. That's where we go today. Politico has this is this is as much a procedural story as it is a story about the information in it. A leak from the Supreme Court. I don't remember there being a leak from the Supreme Court in my lifetime. I can't remember anything being leaked from the Supreme Court. Can you remember anything being leaked from the Supreme Court? It's because deliberations have... It's it's the same reason that executive power exists. We'll get to the details in a second, but it's the same reason executive or executive privilege exists. Executive privilege exists because you have to be able to make deliberations freely without you know concern for posterity imagine if everything you know this is why they don't allow cameras in the supreme court as well but if you see cameras in courtrooms right now there's a a very long civil trial going on over in virginia between johnny depp and amber heard and they're both actors they're fully aware of how they look and how they present themselves and how the camera picks them up and that's what they're doing even though Amber Heard hasn't been on the trot on the stand yet she is fully aware of what's going on and so her reactions are uh, measured <clears throat> look at the OJ trial that thing went on forever because both sides were playing to the cameras rather than you know trying to make a case to the jury in that case it didn't really matter because the uh, jury was not at all interested in the reality of it it just they just weren't but it is a, a known fact that observation perverts reality if you what you are doing 
is observed by other people you will and you know it's being observed by other people you will alter how you do it it'll change the outcome put a camera in a room full of kids a more uh more i guess uh, pronounced you show put a room full of kids and put a camera in there what happens they start mugging for the camera they start mugging for the camera adults aren't all that different they don't do as much mugging but they sure do play for the cameras so executive privilege comes about because you have to be able to advise the president and give him your thoughts on anything in any given moment and if in the course of doing that in the back of your mind there is the thought the realization that oh geez one day Congress could subpoena me and I will have to tell them what happened in this room or somebody else will tell them what happened in this room because they've been asked by Congress. There's no exertion of uh, executive privilege so or assertion of executive privilege, so there's no way to stop that question from being answered. It'll change the way you'll get people posturing, peacocking for history. If they knew that they were being recorded, for example, if you listen to the Nixon tapes, and I don't recommend you listen to the Nixon tapes, but if you listen to the Nixon tapes, Nixon knows he's being recorded. Most of the other people, if any of them, I don't think know they're being recorded. And there's hours and hours and hours of really mundane things. But Nixon says things with the full knowledge that they're being recorded for posterity, whereas the other people are just talking, just talking like normal people. You want the president to be able to be advised by normal people talking to them, having a, a conversation about what they really truly believe, not worried about what history will say about them when they're long dead. So you don't allow people into that room. You want the Supreme Court to be a very serious, solemn place so you don't put cameras in the courtroom so they don't turn into uh, Judge Ito. It's that simple. That's why deliberations are secret. That's why this breach of the deliberation process is so egregious. This is problematic. Really seriously is problematic. They need to find out who leaked this. What should happen today is when everybody shows up to work today, provided everybody shows up to work today, because maybe somebody will think there, there's some speculation about who, there's some internet sleuthing about who is the source. Um, if that person doesn't show up to work today, you fire them immediately. But you really should just fire every law clerk. Or you should say at your 9 a.m. meeting, hey, here's what we're going to do. By noon, everybody's fired. All you clerks are fired. And we will tar each and every one of you as, you know, untrustworthy. And you go about your business. Good luck getting a, a job at some law firm somewhere, which is why you clerked or getting an appointment for a, a federal judgeship, which is another reason why you probably clerked. Get rid of all of that. We will tar your name. We will stain your name forever. Period. End of story. Unless the person who did this comes forward, then we will only punish you. We'll find out what type of person this uh, leaker is. But if you're willing to do this in the first place, you're probably kind of scuzzy.
person and you'd happily go, no, it wasn't me all the way to your grave until, of course, your book deal or your contributorship at MSNBC comes up. And then you say, no, 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 it was me. It was me. I was the hero. The only other talking about leaks and uh, I trust James Rosen. James Rosen is a friend and he's a brilliant guy. He tweeted out a little while. He said another instance of the Supreme Court decision leaking in advance was 1977 when Nina Totenberg at NPR correctly reported that the justices had decided to reject the appeal of John Mitchell, H.R. Haldeman and other former Nixon aides convicted in the Watergate cover up. So it's been a while since there's been a leak from the Supreme Court. It's not unprecedented, but it is different in that this was leaked a few days, I think, before, a day or two before the announcement, the release of the opinion. This opinion wasn't expected until June or July. And this is a draft opinion. Now, I want to play you some audio that makes a point that, um, did I capture that audio? that captures the point that, well, yeah, Politico reporter Josh Gerstein, he's the one who broke this story. He's got a history with somebody who happens to be a clerk in the Supreme Court, which is why there's speculation about people knowing who the uh, the leaker might be. But uh, he was, uh, he's been all over TV last night and tonight. I don't think he's been on Fox. I don't know if that's because he refuses to go on Fox or Fox doesn't ask him to go on. Neither one is particularly a good answer, but just throwing that out there. I want you to listen to him, because what he says here is that it's a it's a decent-sized clip, like a minute and a half. He's pretty sure this is legit, <laughs> which isn't a whole lot. And it might be, I have a, uh, I have a theory about this that I'll get to. After we listen to this clip, that might, I mean, maybe the whole thing is true and legit and who knows, but I have a theory that might contradict that after we listen to uh, Josh Gerstein of Politico. I think he was on, well, this is either from CNN or MSNBC. I think it's MSNBC. First of all, you're sure of the authenticity of this document, first of all. And then the second question is, how do you guys know this isn't just the draft of, because it sounds very much like Alito, that it's not just Alito's draft that he sends around, which is, again, part of the process. Alito may have his draft. Kavanaugh, for those who don't know, Kavanaugh Mm -hmm. has his draft. Others have drafts. They share it back and forth, and they try to come to consensus. So the second part, first, again, the legitimacy of it, uh, how how sure are you that it's nailed down? And the second one is, how sure are you that this isn't just uh, an opening draft by uh, Alito to try to pull the other conservatives on board? Well, we're, I mean, those are good questions, Joe, and we're very confident that it is an authentic draft. Obviously, we can't say what will happen in the future, right, and how justices may move around. Uh, We're confident that this opinion, uh, which is labeled as an opinion of the court, it's not labeled as like a discussion document or, you know, a um, concurrence that maybe Justice Alito could get another justice to sign on to. Uh, It's our understanding uh, that Justice Alito was assigned this opinion to write it on behalf of the majority. Um, and that at the moment, it appears that it does have the support of uh, five of the six conservative justices. 
The money part in there, for my mind, is when Gerstein... Look, uh, kudos to Morning Joe, to Joe Scarborough there, for at least asking the question. How do you know this is real? How do you know this isn't just something that Alito is passing around? We don't actually fully understand how the court decides each case. We, we have some general ideas, but they try to convince each other. They take an initial vote, and then they try to convince each other, and then they eventually settle on it, and then uh, they, they decide who's going to write the majority opinion, who's going to write the minority opinion, so on and so forth. This draft opinion that uh, Politico got its hands on, they usually say that this is so-and-so uh, on behalf of such-and-such and such-and-such, such such, if, if other justices have signed on. It's labeled first draft. That's it. First draft for what? It could be first draft from Justice Alito trying to convince other justices, or it could be the first draft of the final decision. We don't know. They don't know. It is dated February 10th, which is a while ago, shortly after the case was argued, which lends itself to the idea that this is a draft trying to convince other members of the court, does it not? But the uh, the thing that Gerstein mentioned there that I find problematic from a journalistic point of view is he said, well, it's not, how do we know it's real? It's not labeled a discussion document. Well, these are never never released to the public. The deliberation process and how it comes about are never released to the public, ever. They shouldn't be. It would be horrible. This Well, they're almost at this. They almost at that. No, it should not be that way. The court should only speak when the court has decided, not the decision process. So there would be no reason, if you trust everybody involved... In the process, there's no reason to label. You label things as draft and slap it across there so that nobody mistakes anything. Oh, this is the final decision and accidentally leaks it or should it get out? There's no question of uh, that it is a draft, that it is early on in the state. There's, that is for uh, political purposes. They do that all the time. For corporate purposes, they do that all the time. Until yesterday, there was no reason to consider doing that in the Supreme Court. Because, like I said, the last leak was apparently 1977 about a criminal case in the appeal of Watergate. And it was only after the decision had been made that people got a tip off of what the decision was going to be, not a decision, not a here's the decision days early. It's a huge, huge difference. It's a giant breach of trust. That trust is wildly important. That's why I think every one of the law clerks should be fired unless one of them comes forward and confesses what they did. Anybody who would have had access to this, who's not a Supreme Court justice, should be fired, or at least considered to be fired. This is massive. But the idea that this is the final document that this is the court's decision is based on very flimsy evidence, according to Gerstein, that you just heard there. It doesn't say discussion document or anything. 
Oh, it doesn't say discussion document. Well, again, the evidence points to it's early on in the decision-making process how the Supreme Court, they write up their decisions and say, all right, here's what I would say in the decision. You want to sign on? You want to do a concurrence? You want to do a dissent? What do you want to do? And they go from there. We don't know what we don't know about this process, and at least until this point, the Supreme Court has refused to comment on it. I think the Supreme Court should come out and comment on it. I think the Supreme Court should come out and release the decision in this case now. Forget. Forget in June or July. You go, all right, because this was done expressly for political purposes. That's all this was, was to apply pressure. The left, of course, immediately took to the streets the way that they do. The idea of storming government buildings is now cool. It's chic. It's no longer insurrection. You watch as uh, Democrats scramble and call for the end of the filibuster so that they can codify abortion in law, which would just mean that then, okay, you carve out that for abortion. Uh, for the filibuster, then Republicans regain control of government. They could undo it in a heartbeat. It's wildly stupid. It's a much better idea to leave it up to the states. If Democrats were so confident of the popularity of abortion, they should have no problem with it being left up to the states. These are, after all, the people who scream at the top of their lungs that this is what democracy looks like. Yet whenever presented with the opportunity to embrace democracy, they never cease to go in the opposite direction. It's, it's very telling about these people, to be perfectly honest with you, that every chance they have to actually embrace democracy, they run in the other direction. They run directly to the courts. And then when decisions don't go their way in the courts, the courts are out of control. They're out of Now, nine times out of ten, the courts go their way because especially lower courts, they're riddled with liberals. But uh, once the court goes in the other direction, it's a threat to our democracy. It's a threat to our democracy. Well, nothing is more democratic than abortion being decided by the states, right? Right close to the people, responsive to the people, not in some distant capital for the country. You can really have an impact. The thing is, you can't really fundraise from rich New York and California liberals off of what's going on in Georgia, what's going on in Mississippi. You see, you can't do that. They don't really care all that much. They only give when they're afraid that their uh, ability to get an abortion should Jeffrey Tubin impregnate them be infringed. We'll get into that, too. Honestly, that's why I think this Politico story is um, premature. Unless you know, the court comes out and, and announces their decision today, there's a very high probability that this is just one of the drafts that's being circulated. Going, hey, how about this? You guys agree with this? And some people are saying yes, and some people are saying no. But it is, uh, it's caused an absolute freakout anyway. And it really exposes the left and what they believe, what their priorities are. You can tell a lot about somebody about by what their priorities are. For example, this uh, this one just popped up. I think this is absolutely hilarious. She's a 
She used to appear on Fox all the time. Um, now, her Twitter bio is New York Times bestselling author, USA Today columnist, CNN senior political analyst, blah, blah, blah. And, of course, her uh, pronouns are she, her. It's Kirsten Powers, right? Kirsten Powers' shtick is that she's a Catholic. Just like Nancy Pelosi's shtick is she's a Catholic. Joe Biden's shtick is he's a Catholic. Kirsten Powers, I'm a Catholic but not, and not has an asterisk on both sides of it. So you know she's totally for serious. But not like those Supreme Court appointees. I'm more like the majority of Catholics who support Roe. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I, I, I'm no theologian, certainly. However, I do know that religion is not based on, well, maybe some religions are, not based on majority vote. Catholicism certainly isn't based on a majority vote. So show of hands, show of hands. Should we? What do we do about this? Show of hands. All right, well, we've got uh, church dogma, and now people don't like that. So, um, yeah, we're going to change that dogma because it's unpopular. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. In order, a tenet of Catholicism is that God is infallible. God doesn't. God has a plan. God doesn't make mistakes. And the idea of abortion is God screws up. Oops. Oops. God. Uh, God is the creator of all life. God accidentally got this woman pregnant. She's got to. Uh, God created abortion, therefore, to uh, to take care of that. Think of whatever you will. I don't care where you stand on the issue of abortion. But the idea of a religious, from a religious standpoint, from a Catholic standpoint is absolutely hilarious. Watching all of these so-called people, and you really see a lot of leftists trying to wrap themselves in religion as cover, as justification for how horrible they are as human beings. Raphael Warnock, Senator Warnock from uh, Georgia, who is facing a tough re-election bid because it was, he was elected in a special election. He, uh, he's a reverend. He's also divorced. He also is fighting to the nail to keep his child custody uh, documents, the child custody fight that he had with his ex-wife, who doesn't like him for lots of reasons. Um, he's trying to keep those documents sealed, keep them private. Oh, no, it's for the good of the children. If you remember Jerry Ryan, the actress who plays Seven of Nine on Star Trek Voyager and now Picard, and her husband, Jim Ryan, I think it was, he was he's got a, he had a great story. He was going to run for the Senate in Illinois. He had made a fortune in Wall Street, a child of privilege, and he'd given it all up. He'd walked away from a massive job so that he could teach school, public schools in Chicago. The most needed. Oh, it was it was a wonderful story. Well, he was running in the same year that a guy named uh, Barry Soweto, I'm sorry, Barack Obama, was running for the Senate on the Democrat side. Ryan had already gotten the nomination for the Republican Party. Good-looking guy. Hell of a story. Like I say, a hell of a story. Had a real shot at this, especially since Barack Obama hadn't done a damn thing as a state senator. He really didn't do anything as a state senator. So a little guy named David Axelrod, who used to be a reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times or Tribune, one of the two, it doesn't really matter. 
used to be a journalist, had left journalism to work for Barack Obama because that's what journalists do. They leave their jobs and hitch their wagons to Democrats. They're all on the same team anyway, so he could always go back to journalism. And part of David Axelrod's push was to sue, and under the name of the public's need to know, to get the Ryan's divorce, they were divorced at the time, to get the Ryan's divorce proceedings, particularly their child custody fight, to get that unsealed. They wanted that those documents that had been sealed by the court for the good of the children. Because parents in divorce say nasty things about each other, and there was no need to bring that up. Kids didn't need to know that. But David Axelrod swore that people did need to know. It was imperative that they know. And David Axelrod won because the courts in Illinois are corrupt as the day is long and part of the Democrat machine. And in there were embarrassing details about the divorce between the Ryans. He dropped out of the race. They got Alan Keyes to come in and sort of carpet bag and seat fill and get his ass handed to him by Barack Obama. And the rest is history. Barack Obama didn't happen organically. It was all part of the liberal machine's plan. So now Raphael Warnock is trying to do the same. Well, he's trying to do the opposite. He's now in the Ryan role. No, you can't have my divorce. See, my custody here. That it, people say mean things in there. And uh, the Republicans are saying, no, no, no. We need to know this information. You guys set the precedent, right? You set the precedent in Illinois. You don't get to say we've set this precedent, but now the precedent doesn't apply to us. He's fighting that to the nail. But as a man of God, what should he have in his divorce proceedings that would be in any way, shape, or form horrible? I mean, aside from the, the, the ex-wife, who the media largely ignores, talking about how bad of a father he was, how bad of a husband he was, how she had to fight him for child support, how he's not exactly up to date. None of those things. None of those things matter. He's a Democrat in good standing, and he's a reverend. He's the right reverend Raphael Warnock. He's a man of God. A man of God. Well, that man of God this morning tweeted out the following, quote, as a pro-choice pastor, I'm going to stop right there because <laughs> that's, that concept is hilarious. Again, going back to the idea that somehow, oopsie, God had a mistake. God made a mistake. <laughs> as a pro-choice pastor, I've always believed that a patient's room is way too small for a woman, her doctor, and the United States government. I'll always fight to protect a woman's right to choose, and that will never change. You, uh, might I suggest, are not the man of God you claim to be, sir. I'm just saying, I say it all the time, and I only say it all the time because it's absolutely 100% true. Democrats, progressive Democrats, are progressives first. Anything else, they are a distant second. Anything else, they are a distant second. He is a pastor. He's a man of God. He is apparently uh, a man of God with a love of the ladies that uh, didn't really work out in his marriage because his wife didn't like that side of him. You know, as the men of God often do. The hypocrisy runs deep in this. But if you're sitting there worried, Reverend, 
Warnock, Reverend Senator Warnock, about the crowding of a patient's room when it comes to an abortion? How does Why does government fit in there when a, say, 12-year-old wants genital mutilation surgery because they have gender dysphoria? Why, does the, why is there room for government in that room? You've got the patient, you've got the doctor, you've got the... Well, maybe they crowd out the parents. Maybe the government tells the parents to wait in the hall so it can fit in there. Look, there's not enough room for all of us. We, as the government, have a uh, significant and more vested interest in the proceedings in there than you do. We care more about your child than you do. So you just go out in the hall and you sit out there. The same people, same people, government has no business being in this room, are fighting tooth and nail to put the government in that room where they're making decisions. They want to make the decisions. Uh, Prepubescent children to prevent them from ever going through puberty, effectively sterilizing them. Sterilizing them. Now, those of you who don't know about the progressive movement, it is a horrible, god-awful movement in the beginning of the 20th century that the left still embraces today. They embraced a concept called eugenics. Eugenics was the idea that there are simply some people who are better than others. They all happened to be, back then they were mostly northeastern elite liberals who went to Ivy League schools. They were all better than everybody else. They were the ruling class. They're still the ruling class. They believed that they should make life and death decisions for everybody else. They still believe that. They believed that the great unwashed, us, the public, were too damn stupid to know what is in our best interest, that they had to be the ones to take care of it. They still believe that to this day. So you get to make your own choice on abortion because they support that, but you don't get to have a say in whether or not your child transitions because they know what's best for you. You made the right decision on this one. You made the wrong decision on that one. They'll back you up. It's not that you, they don't even want you to make the decision. They'll allow you to make decisions they agree with and prevent you from making decisions they disagree with. This mentality led, it was, largely based in racism, but it wasn't completely based in racism because there were many eugenicists and many progressives who were black. It was mostly based the same way things are based today on the elite, the, the arrogance, the power and the money class, mostly still in the Northeast. But I want to play you this clip from Margaret Sanger just to illustrate the progressive mindset and the progressive movement. This is an interview she did the interviewer sounds like it's Mike Wallace, his voice. It could be right. It's, some, it's one of those old guys from uh, 60 Minutes, but this was before 60 Minutes. This is from 1957. Margaret Sanger is the founder of Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood was founded by the progressive movement in the time of in the progressive era in the hopes of aborting as many black babies as humanly possible. They also wanted to abort as many poor white babies as possible, as many undesirable, the people they determined to be undesirable. They wanted to abort as many of them as possible. They believed that only the elite 
should be able to reproduce. And if you repopulated the country and the world with the children of the elite and their children and so on and so forth, that you would raise the level of humanity. Anybody who's known a rich kid growing up and what kind of D-bags they are knows that's not the case. But that's beside the point. Margaret Sanger, founder of Planned Parenthood, saint of the progressive left, Democrat darling, uh, hero of abortion, says right here that the only sin she really believes in is bringing kids into the world where they have diseases like Down syndrome or birth defects or what have you, or anybody else who is just undesirable, who has basically the uh, yucky, gross, unwashed parents, the deplorables. It's a telling statement that's been around for, I mean, it's been around since 1957, but it's only recently that Democrats in their absolute wokeness have started to distance themselves from Margaret Sanger, even though this stuff was readily available and has been pointed out for decades and decades and decades, but because of her comments on race and her, her history of racism and embracing the Klan, they realized they had to walk away from her. Even Hillary Clinton got a Margaret Sanger award. Listen to Margaret Sanger, 1957, liberal Democrat hero, champion of abortion, talking about why she supports abortion. Do you believe in sin? When I say believe, I don't mean in believe in committing sin. Do you believe there is such a thing as, a, as sin? Well, I think the greatest sin in the world is bringing children into the world that have disease from their parents, that have no chance in the world to be a human being, practically. Delinquents, prisoners, all sorts of things just mark when they're born. That, to me, is the greatest sin that people can, can commit. That's the greatest sin. People, oh, the undesirable people? She's basically saying minorities and poor white kids. That's a sin. You shouldn't bring them in there. They're marked from the beginning. They're, they're criminals. They're, they're going to prison. They're this, they're that, they're the other thing. And you're sitting there and you're going, that's pretty gross. That's progressive. That was the progressive movement back in the 20th century. That is the progressive mindset now. The only difference is... They can't abort everybody. They want their votes. So those they can't get aborted, they want to support cradle to grave so that they can buy their votes with your money. It's really the only difference. But ultimately, they'd prefer to sterilize them, which they've done in the past. Look it up. All of this stuff is readily available out there in book form. Not so much online because, well, don't use Google to search for it. It won't come up. Just search progressives and eugenics. And you'll see, even NPR, or not NPR, PBS, did a, a really interesting documentary on the progressive movement a couple years ago. It was on my old DVR. It's gone now. But they did this, and they pointed out how awful eugenics was. They did, it was a documentary about the eugenics movement. But it stayed... Uh, as far away from it as it could, it couldn't completely acknowledge it because eugenics was, you know, the progressive movement. They tried to distance the progressive movement from eugenics as best they could. And it was painful, but the documentary itself is interesting. But since they couldn't uh, completely distance them from it because it is a staple of the progressive movement, I don't think they're going to rerun that documentary very often. You might have difficulty finding it online, but look for it. Look for the truth yourself. Now I'm going to move on. Now is the time on Sprockets when we move on to the left-wing freakout. 
over this. We've talked about the, the precedent, the problems with the leak. We talked about the motivation behind the Democrats' love of abortion. Now you've got the absurdity of the way that they are reacting to this possible. It's not even sure it's a decision. That's the thing is nobody has a damn clue. None of these people know anything, but they're all acting as though they do. So they, uh, we'll start off when it broke Rachel Maddow and Chris Hayes handing it off to each two people who are never going to be pregnant. Again, you do have to point out the absurdity of this. Well, uh, pregnant people, birthing persons, they do. They say things like that. They, they, yeah, I don't know that they mean them, but they say them. Birthing persons. Uh, neither one of these two are birthing people. But the idea that if you've got to have abortion legal because everybody can get pregnant is absurd. Let's, let's make abortion legal. If there's a, a massive demand for abortion in this country, let's make abortion legal on a federal level for trans women first. Right? Just picking at random. They say trans women are women, so let's take the trans women first. We'll start with a small group of people. And if there is any demand whatsoever for abortion, even one, then we can expand it from there. Does that sound fair? I think that sounds fair, right? You demonstrate the demand for abortion. We'll pick randomly from the population. We'll pick, in the name of Democrats, we will pick a very extremely marginalized group of people. Right? Isn't that? Democrats love favoring the quote-unquote marginalized. So we'll pick a group of marginalized individuals, the most marginalized even, and we'll start with them. We will guarantee them the right to abortion. And then we'll see if there's this pent-up demand that Democrats insist exists, right? Trans, since trans women are women, let's go with the trans women first. We could even go to trans women of color, but I think trans women is probably enough. We get a big enough sample that way. So you'll have all of these women, we're told out there, these trans women, I'm sorry, women, who will then be able to be the, the experiment. They'll be the control. Say, all right, well, what is the real demand for abortion? And we shall see if these trans women, this marginalized community of real women, mind you, they're real women, we're told, if they go running to an abortion provider, then we say, well, there's a huge demand for abortion more pent up than we were aware of, and therefore we shall expand even further the access to abortion. Then we can go to, you know, uh, uh, the rest of the women, the female population. We'll go from there. We'll start with the trans women. Start with the trans women because they have been most marginalized throughout all of history, and we'll go from there. <laughs> anyway, speaking of trans women, Chris Hayes ha was uh, wrapping up his show. No, I'm just kidding. Chris Chris Hayes' hair and Rachel Maddow's hair are one and the same. It's like they, they switch hair helmets at the end of the show. But their little handoff between shows, they're very, very concerned that children might be born. They're very, very concerned that children might be born. Listen to this little chit-chat between the two shows. This is right around the time the story was breaking. And... 
the fact that it's being leaked, this fact that this is being leaked now, we will have whatever the ruling is. We will have the ruling before the November election. Uh, I mean, this this just is this is like a, a four number Sudoku. This isn't a very hard puzzle, right? This is in terms of people figuring out what the stakes are of their vote in November, in terms of the midterms, putting whichever party in, in control of either House of Congress um, will, among other things, determine whether or not we're about to become a country that bans abortion nationwide. We should also just note, I mean, and, and obviously this is something you've reported on as well as anyone on all of television. Uh, there's, I think, 25, 26 states that have trigger laws such that when Roe gets struck down, abortion becomes illegal that moment, that instant. This yeah. is not some process that's going to play out. You can be living in a state watching this right now as a pregnant person, as someone planning on getting pregnant, where the day, the afternoon this happens, your state law says the ruling of the court means that abortion is now illegal after this timeline in your state. You can be watching this as a pregnant person or as a person planning on getting pregnant. So wait a second, Chris. <clears throat> are you saying that there are people out there watching MSNBC at 9 o'clock who are planning on getting pregnant for the express purpose of being able to have an abortion and this might somehow impact their decision? Because if you're, if you're planning on getting pregnant because you want to have a child, you don't really go, well, but I also want to have an abortion. The abortion doesn't really play into the fact that you want to have a child, right? I don't think, so. well, I don't know why I keep, uh, I, I, I've gotten pregnant 15 different times. And every time I get pregnant, I lose the child to an abortion. I've lost the child. to an, It's a horrible conundrum. My doctor can't figure out why it is I can't bring a child to term. Not many people, maybe some, and they probably are watching MSNBC if they do exist, but I would suggest that the vast majority of people who want to get pregnant are not super concerned about whether or not they can get an abortion, Chris. But both of them are very, very concerned. Overnight, overnight, this will turn into massive, this is how brilliant Rachel Maddow is. Overnight, you could live in a country where abortion is illegal coast to coast, she says. That's not at all what would happen. Chris Hayes even announced it and basically gave it away. There are like half the states that have trigger laws. Now there are like 12 states that have trigger laws and whether or not they'd act to uh, remove those triggers, they haven't acted on it because they're just on the books, remains to be seen. But that's less than half and it certainly isn't coast to coast. I get that they want to be hyperbaric and they want to keep their audiences engaged but they're doing damage to people's brains by lying to them. Meanwhile, the governor of California comes out, tweets today, new, we are proposing an amendment to enshrine the right to choose in the California Constitution. We can't trust the Supreme Court to protect the right to abortion, so we'll do it ourselves. Women will remain protected here. Not from you, but you know, from pregnancy. Sure, congratulations. That's what would happen. That's what if California wants to do that, California is free to do that. And anybody really think that California was going to go in the other direction is crazy. If Roe v. Wade were overturned today, you could still get all the abortions you wanted in the state of California. I think taxpayers funded out there so you'd have that going for you. But the idea that it would be illegal nationwide is incredibly stupid. It's not anywhere close to what the leaked draft opinion says not anywhere close to it but there's no money in telling the truth 
there's honestly, there's no money in telling the truth. So they don't tell the truth. And that tells you something about the Democratic Party, doesn't it? That tells you something about the progressive left. The truth does not serve their purposes. And even when it does to a certain extent to get people riled up, they don't stick to it because the truth is never enough. The truth is a good starting point for the left sometimes, not always. In fact, rarely is it a good starting point. But when it is a good starting point, they use it uh, as best they can, and then they go beyond it. Rachel Maddow, the most brilliant woman in all of cable television, went beyond it. She lied. This decision would immediately make abortion illegal across the country. No, it wouldn't. Your own colleague, your bull-headed, uh, bull-headed uh, boy toy before... Not a boy toy, but a bull-headed boy before you, presuming he's a boy. Uh, that's actually assuming the facts not an evidence. He's the one who pointed out, no, the states would be able to make their decisions. And what do you care? Honestly, how into abortion do you have to be to live in a state where it would be legal no matter what? Rachel Maddow's a lesbian. She's not going to get pregnant anytime. She's also almost 50 years old, so she's probably not going to be having kids anytime soon. She she lives in New York and Connecticut, I think. She got a mansion in Connecticut or an estate in Connecticut. The idea that abortion would be declared illegal by New York or Connecticut is absurd. It's never going to happen. But... The prospect of abortion being severely restricted in a state like Texas and a state like Mississippi and a state like Tennessee, it's, it's a real possibility. It's a real possibility. I'm not even saying it's a probability, but it's a possibility. But the possibility, the prospect that it could be limited somewhere they don't live, never have likely been, and would never really want to go is so much, too much for them that they freak out about it. This is what I call, it's, a, it's a, an offshoot of uh, maybe a, a distant viral cousin of what I call Michael Stipe's disease. Michael Stipe was the lead singer of R.E.M. He always just seemed so miserable and unhappy in every interview you ever saw of him. And you'd sit there and you go, what the hell's wrong with this guy? And he had this attitude of, because all he did was grouse about something that was wrong in the world. He couldn't enjoy a single moment. And you sit there and you go, he's got this thing where he... he his attitude is how can anybody have fun anywhere when somebody somewhere is having a bad time? It's terrible. And that seems to be what the left is. It's not about no their choice. Nobody's limiting their choice. And people are free to leave. Mississippi outlawed abortion right now. There would not have to be an underground railroad up to Washington, D.C. to get women abortions. People could leave. More importantly, people could move just as they can with taxes. You don't like the tax rate, you can move out of the state. As you can with, if you don't like the marijuana laws, you can move out of the state. You can move out of the state for whatever. It's the concept of federalism. That is what this country was founded upon, the very concept of it. Now, it's 13 colonies at the time, but right now we are 50 states. 50 states are 50 different Petri dishes. If you don't like the way one state is set up, you can move. And you can sit there and say, oh, well, not everybody can afford to move. Well, there's a motivation for you to save up. 
right? Work real hard and save some money. And if that's not good enough for you, start with your millions, Rachel Maddow, a refugee program from states that have restricted abortion to states where uh, abortion is legal. Move those people there. Move those people there. That's the beauty of it. It's the beauty of our country. Democrats don't like that. They want to force the things they like on everybody. They want to ban the things they don't like and force the things they like on everybody else. It's either ban or make mandatory. That's it, period, end of story. And they're willing to lie to do it, which really kind of lets you know that they don't have much of a case to begin with, right? You know, it's funny about all this freak out about, oh my God, they might overturn Roe v. Wade. It's precedent. You can't do that. Everybody saying this is precedent, you can't do that, is saying essentially, well, okay, then you believe in the Dred Scott decision that uh, slaves are property, that black people are property. It doesn't matter, and you can move anywhere. Uh, That was precedent. That was Supreme Court precedent. You think that was wisely decided? You think that was correct? The Supreme Court has a lot of precedents overturning itself. So to say, you can't overturn this, it's precedent, is, is to be willfully ignorant of reality. I mean, let's just be honest, to be willfully ignorant of reality. But you're not dealing with people who deal with reality all that well, so I mean, what are you going to do? Uh, speaking of people who don't deal with reality very well, Jeffrey Tubin. Jeffrey Tubin. he's been, um, he's the CNN chief legal analyst. He, how do I put this delicately? Jeffrey Tubin is married, has been married for a long time, on paper. I don't know. It's hard to look at anybody else's marriage and say, well, that's really messed up. Bill and Hillary, for example, you sit there and you go, yeah, they're, they're married. But, you know, it's not the kind of marriage you want. Jeffrey Tubin's kind of the same way. Jeffrey Tubin is um, he's got a history of at least being accused of philandering, of being super friendly and hitting on and creepily hitting on women. And if you if you creepily hit on women, it's partially because you're wildly arrogant. And there's no doubt that Jeffrey Tubin is wildly arrogant, thinks a lot of himself. But it's partially because it's worked in the past. It had to have worked. If you just look at a woman and go, hey, uh, you want to go to bed? Nobody does that out of the blue. Nobody in the middle of nowhere goes, "Uh, you know what? Let's give this direct approach a shot. You do that because it's worked for you in the past or something similar has worked for you. Baby steps. Maybe you didn't say that exactly, but you got pretty close to it in the past. And you worked your way up to that point. Jeffrey Tubin is the kind of guy who has done the, hey, uh, sugar teas, let's go to bed. Let's, what do you say? Or things like that. You, just, you can find these. You do a, a, a couple of searches online, and you can find stories of Jeffrey Tubin's philandering. In one of the most famous cases, probably the most famous case, and you sit there and you go, what the hell's wrong with Mrs. Tubin? Well, who knows? Some people just like to be... Uh, Look, there are many members of Congress out there who are screwing around on their spouses. Lots of them. And there was one in particular 
who uh, a friend of mine worked for. And it was just painfully. He eventually, I think, got outed for it and chased out of Congress. So he had problems. He's not in Congress anymore. But you have these uh, people who are like, so obvious. Like, what do you. It's obvious that that dude is sleeping with that staffer. And there's no way. They're so open about it. There's no way the wife doesn't know. And I asked my friend about this, and it's well, you know, the, there's no way they don't know. They have understandings. They have an understanding. The wife likes to be the wife of a congressman. And if you're the ex-wife of a congressman, you don't get the treatment that a wife of a congressman gets. You get invited to the various events, and you get to speak at things, and people fawn all over you because of glory by proxy or whatever, and you, people like that. People get used to that kind of lifestyle and they go, I want to keep this no matter what. So they say, they strike that deal. Just don't embarrass me. All right. Just don't, which means don't get anybody pregnant. Don't get caught. Don't, don't get pictures of you coming out of the no-tell motel with your uh, staff assistant. Okay. That's all I ask. Don't embarrass me. And that's enough for some people. I don't, if somebody wants to live their life that way, I'm not going to sit there and try and convince them otherwise. If you think that, if you think that's cool, there's no convincing you otherwise. Anyway, I think mean, that's the way things should be. So uh, Tubin has to be in that kind of a marriage. Just has to be in that kind of a marriage, because he's been caught so many times, and he's still in that marriage. When he got caught on the Zoom call, um, in his Me Tubin moment. He apologized to his wife. So theoretically, his wife's still around. And amongst the other people that he apologized to, he apologized to his wife. So you have to assume that the wife is still in the picture. The wife, why in the picture? I don't know. Because Jeffrey Tubin a few years ago, had had an affair with the daughter of one of his CNN colleagues. This lets you know a little bit about CNN, by the way. CNN uh, colleague Jeff Greenfield. If you watch CNN, you watch news for a while, you know who Jeff Greenfield is. Even if you don't recognize the name, if you saw his face, you'd go, oh, that guy. Jeff Greenfield has been around for a long time. Well-respected reporter. Daughter had an affair with Jeffrey Tubin. Daughter got pregnant by Jeffrey Tubin. Jeffrey Tubin then, now this is all in uh, the court case because it went to court for uh, child support because Jeffrey Tubin is a scumbag. Well, you, not just a little bit. Nobody dabbles in scumbaggery. Yeah, I know I screw around on my wife, but uh, once things go sideways, I totally step up and do the right thing. No, no, you're a scumbag through and through. He, uh, he pressured her, threatened her, tried to bribe her to have an abortion. So uh, on this Roe v. Wade question, perhaps Jeffrey Tubin is the right person to have on CNN to talk about abortions. Because if you, again, I don't believe that you, I don't believe this is his first rodeo. I have nothing to base that on other than my spidey sense, my opinion. But I don't think that in your 40s or 50s or whatever Tubin was, that you decide, you know what, I'm going to really pressure hard, full court press, including offering money to this woman to get an abortion. I don't think that's your first time. I think it it, it probably worked before. Because especially with somebody with uh, a reputation that Tubin has, the Tubin snake has. So he pressured her to get an abortion. She refused. She had the child. At which point, Jeffrey Tubin refused to acknowledge his child. He denied it was his child. 
He lied to the world. It's not my kid. She, he was lying, lying, lying. You just can't lie about DNA. The DNA proved it was his child. And then eventually went out of every other option. Jeffrey Tubin, CNN's chief legal correspondent, noted self-pleasurer on video chats at work, stepped up and did the quote-unquote right thing. He then took, you imagine that, he's now, you know, got joint custody, and Tubin's wife is cool with it, or whatever, she, they're still married, but, you, you know, you go out with that kid, that kid's getting up there now to the point where the kid's going to be able to Google mom and dad and go, why are mom and dad not married? Hey, this is an interesting story. Dad desperately wanted me dead. There you go. That's going to make the next father-son outing a little awkward. Dad offered mom a bunch of money. And then dad said, uh, all right, if you don't take the money to uh, end the pregnancy, then I deny that this is my kid. Oh, so mom was accused by dad. who Dad was married at the time. Mom was not. Uh, ma, dad accused mom of being a whore. That's interesting. That's a little bit of the pot calling the kettle black, don't you think? Anyway, CNN, without any sense of irony, <laughs> decided to have Jeffrey Tubin on last night to talk about abortion. Because, again, he knows about it. He knows a thing or two about this. I don't think this is his first rodeo. And he said that why American life, life in the United States of America, is going to be very different if Roe over, it is dating life. I assume he's talking about his dating life. But he talks about how life in America is going to be very different after Roe if it is overturned. He's very concerned because, again, this is his go-to form of birth control. What this means is that a constitutional right that women have had in this country for 50 years, pushing three generations, is gone. It is gone overnight, and it is now up to the politicians. And this idea that it is simply returning the abortion rights to the states is not really correct, because what we are seeing in these states that are banning abortion is they are reaching out. They are trying to ban abortion in the whole country. They are banning um, the use of the males for medical medical abortions. They are banning travel for abortion purposes. They are criminalizing attempts from members of other states to try to get um, to try to uh, ban abortion within their states. I mean, this is a constitutional earthquake if it stands. And American life, not just American law, will be very different if this is the law of the land. And then your dating life will be severely curtailed. I love this. They're trying to do this. They're trying to do that. Um, they wouldn't be able to do any of it. They can try all they want, Jeffy. They can. They can't do it, though. That's the beauty of federalism. Mississippi can pass all the laws it wants. It can't pass a law that impacts people who live in Alabama. They can't. They can't impose restrictions on the people who live in Alabama. The people in Alabama can't impose themselves on the people who live in California. What's weird is the representatives from the state of California desperately want to impose laws that impact people in Mississippi and Alabama. <laughs> Mississippi and Alabama simply want to be able to impose their own laws. And California simply wants to be able to impose their own laws on everybody else. 
tells you a little bit about the chief legal correspondent or whatever, the chief legal analyst for CNN, that he doesn't seem to understand how federalism works either because he's probably sitting there going, this is really going to cramp my dating style. One word for you, Jeffy. Two, three syllables. Vasectomy. I guess four syllables. Vasectomy. Take care of it. Since you clearly don't like other methods, uh, vasectomy will take care of it, Jeffy. I don't know how many more embarrassments your wife can take. So maybe go a little bit easier on her. But he wasn't done yet because he's he's literally been on at least five programs on CNN. This is the best legal mind that CNN could wake up. Or maybe it wasn't date night for him and he was uh, available or whatever. Or maybe he's just so grateful to have a job that... No matter what he's doing, when CNN calls, he goes, well, I got to go because they stuck by me when I was caught masturbating on a video chat with my coworkers. So I owe them. He then uh, went on to say that cutting or making abortion illegal doesn't cut the number of abortions. I don't uh, I don't believe that's true. I don't believe that holds up to uh, actual scrutiny. But does it eliminate them? No. But uh, he is very, very concerned. Now, it's kind of funny because your leftist friends out there, particularly on social media, are doing what? They're saying, damn it, men should not have an opinion on this. Men should have no, stop making laws that have anything to do with anything. Men should not have anything to do with any law that has anything to do whatsoever with women's bodies. None, none, none. And then there are a lot of men saying that, too which is weird because shouldn't you demonstrate your uh, adherence to this tenant of the great church of progressivism by shutting the hell up? <laughs> you should it, by don't say anything about this means don't say anything about this, but that's not what the left means. They say, don't say anything. If you disagree with me, shut up. It's really, that's the go-to argument for lefties and pretty much everything. If you don't agree with me, shut up. If you agree with me, go ahead and keep talking. So, They're out there. And now what do you say? Well, what about the women who are pro-life? And they say, well, they're not real women. They're not. They're just like Clarence Thomas isn't really black. Women who are pro-life, they're not really women. Just shut your mouth. Become a Catholic like Kirsten Powers is. Where I'm like Catholic, but I'm not super Catholic Catholic. Come on. Anyway, uh, Jeffrey Tubin going on about the number of abortions. At least he hopes. Because, again, it is his preferred form of birth control. You know, there is a lot of evidence. Uh, There are many societies, especially in Central and South America, that ban abortion altogether. And the rate of abortion does not go down when, when abortion is banned. There are just as many abortions, if not more, in societies where abortion is legal. What's different is that women die. And women are horribly mutilated uh, because abortion is is conducted in a uh, unsafe way. But the idea of a legal ban on abortion, stopping abortion, is a myth. Mm-hmm. It does not happen. All it does is drive the process underground and, da- and endanger women's lives. Jeff's very concerned about the well-being of his side pieces. You've got to give him credit for that. But the idea, well, in in places where abortion is banned, there is no decrease in the number of abortions. How do you know? Relative to what? If abortion has always been illegal in Nicaragua, uh, how do you know what the water level, the sea level is for the number of abortions? 
You, you can't. You just make up the statistics. Part of being a liberal is you get to say anything you want under any circumstances in any way you want. And nobody, because you're on a bobblehead committee of five people, will all just go, yeah, whatever you say, we're all in agreement here. We've all got the same talking points memo. And they all just go along. The audience is wildly disserved. I don't know what the truth is, but I guarantee you Jeffrey Tubin doesn't know what the truth is. I guarantee you and promise you that Jeffrey Tubin doesn't give a damn what the truth is. He's got his own idea. It doesn't matter. Again, this is his preferred form of birth control, apparently, with his mistresses. I don't know how he, I don't know what he uses with his wife. I assume with his wife he uses the method that he was engaged in in that Zoom call because the wife probably likes the trappings of being Mrs. Jeffrey Tubin but does not invite the Tubin snake into the bed anytime soon. And, of course, Joe Biden released a statement because that's what he does. I thought he was going to speak. Maybe he will, but at least as of now, he has he released a statement. Uh, we do not know whether this draft is genuine or whether it reflects the final decision of the court. With this critical caveat, I want to be clear on three points about the cases before the Supreme Court. First, my administration argued strongly before the court in defense of Roe v. Wade. We said that Roe is based on a long line of precedent, recognizing the 14th Amendment's concept of personal liberty against government interference with intensely personal decisions. They're going to use that to try and get, uh, you know, teenage boys to turn into teenage girls. I believe that a woman's right to choose is fundamental. Roe has been the law of the land for almost 50 years, and basic fairness and the stability of our law demands that it not be overturned. Wow. This guy went to law school. Second, shortly after the enactment of Texas law SB8 and other laws restricting women's reproductive rights, I directed my gender policy council and White House counsel's, oh, good God, counsel's office to prepare options for an administrative response to the continued attack on abortion and reproductive rights under a variety of possible outcomes in the cases pending before the Supreme Court. We will be ready with when any ruling is issued. I thought that challenging, you know, precedent and challenging institutions was a threat to democracy. Is that, or is it just if it's in tweet form? If you issue a tweet that says the press is the enemy of the people, fake media, fake news is the enemy of the people, that's a threat to democracy. But sitting there saying, don't worry, we're going to screw over, find a way to get around the Supreme Court, that's not? Am I reading this right? Biden's statement continues third. If the court does overturn Roe, it will fall on our nation's elected officials at all levels of government to protect a woman's right to choose. Exactly. Right. And some places will go, yes, we'll do this, and other places won't. The problem is the left wants, demands everybody do what they say. <sighs> and it will fall on voters to, here comes the real part, though. Here comes the real point of this, and it might well be why this was leaked. If this, if this wasn't the final decision, if this was just Alito's draft opinion and not the actual decision or draft decision for a majority, but he was using it as a, a jumping off point, you can see now why it would have been leaked, which makes me you know, suspicious. I'm a natural cynic. So, and it will fall on voters to elect pro-choice officials this November. 
At the federal level, we will need more pro-choice senators and a pro-choice majority in the House to adopt legislation that codifies Roe, which I will work to pass and sign into law. What's funny is Joe said that he would work as a candidate. In 2019, Joe Biden was insisting that he would codify Roe into law. He tweeted on October 23rd, 2019, before he had the Democratic nomination, quote, let's be clear, this ban is dangerous and directly violates, this is a, a South Carolina law. So let's be clear, this ban is dangerous and directly violates a woman's constitutional right to choose. We must stop it. As president, I will codify Roe into federal law and ensure this choice remains between a woman and her doctor. Once becoming president of the United States, Joe Biden has done exactly nothing to do that. Democrats control both houses of Congress, and they have done nothing to do that. Why is that? Because Democrats want the issue. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm cynical enough to recognize and been around the block enough to recognize that there are plenty of Republicans who also want the issue. They don't want any decision from the Supreme Court that kicks this back down to the states or does anything. They want to be able to say, I will go there and I will fight for the unborn. But they're not trying to do anything. Democrats all go to Washington, D.C. and they'll fight to keep a right, the woman's right to choose. And they don't do anything about it. They occasionally pass a resolution saying, well, we support X, Y, or Z. But they're not really pushing for legislation. Republicans had control of the federal government for quite some time. They didn't do much about the issue. Democrats had control of the federal government for quite some time. They didn't do much about the issue. Politicians since 1973 haven't really done all that much on the issue because they're a nation, they're a bunch of elected cowards. If Democrats recognized, and even Darth Vader Ginsburg herself recognized that Roe v. Wade was a horribly decided case and most likely unconstitutional, she'd said so many times. With that out there, why in the hell wouldn't the Democrats, if they really genuinely did care about this, and it wasn't just a fundraising ploy and a voter motivation ploy, why would they not have done something in around 1978? They had complete control of government in 1978. They could have done anything they wanted. Why didn't they do something in 1993? They had complete control of government in 1993. Why didn't they do anything? All the other times under Barack Obama, they had complete control of government for two years. They didn't do anything. In fact, under Barack Obama, they had 60 senators. They didn't have to worry about the filibuster. They didn't. Then Ted Kennedy died. But they didn't have to worry about the filibuster while Teddy Kennedy was alive. And they did nothing about it. If this is such a priority for Democrats, that they work tirelessly, why didn't they do anything about it? They knew it was horribly decided law. They knew there was a possibility, even a probability, that eventually it would be overturned by the court. Why wouldn't they have done anything to protect what they now claim is some holier than now sacred right weird isn't it it's because they want the issue they fundraise off the issue and boy howdy are they already run fundraising off the issue i was looking through my uh, e inbox 
and there, there they are. They're rolling in. There's a Supreme Court. There's, there's a Supreme, the Democratic Governors Association is one of them. Here's one of the emails. This is the official one. This isn't, you know, some fringy group trying to grift. This is the actual Democratic Governors Association. Breaking news from Politico. Supreme Court has voted to overturn abortion rights. Draft opinion shows. Leaked documents show that SCOTUS has voted to overturn Roe v. Wade. Chip in $3 or whatever you can right now towards our $35,000 emergency goal to elect Democratic governors who will protect abortion rights at the state level. First of all, $35,000 emergency goal? What is that? What is that? It's nothing. It means nothing. It's a worthless data point that they go, they can't say we want to raise $5 million because people are going to go, well, what the hell is my three bucks going to do? So they set the bar low enough that they go, we need $35,000 that people will go, all right, well, I can get you there a little bit with five bucks, 10 bucks, whatever. It's all a psychological game. Everything about these fundraising emails has been gamed out to, in ways that would make Joseph Goebbels laugh, going, my God, these people are worse than me in the propaganda game. The, just $3. Just, why $3? They always ask for $3. Why $3? Because they just need to get into your wallet. Once they get into your wallet, getting back into your wallet is very easy. It's much easier than getting into your wallet the first time. You can make an analogy to any number of things with that. Getting into the first time is much more difficult than getting into it subsequently. But $3 is a nice low number. Everybody's got 3 bucks. We give 3 bucks, And then it takes you, every link that they have for fundraising takes you to this website called Act Blue. And Act Blue saves your saves your information so that next time they ask you for just another three bucks you don't have to enter anything you just click a button and boom your money is immediately deducted from your bank account that's why they want to break the hymen of donation then the body of the email derek last night late last night not late last night about eight thirty. a report from politico indicated that our worst nightmare could become a reality that's really your worst nightmare what a charmed life you lead if that's your worst nightmare. The Supreme Court has voted to overturn Roe v. Wade. If this ruling takes effect this summer, more than 36 million people could be stripped of their bodily autonomy and robbed of critical and sometimes life-saving health care. <clears throat> where's, where's the last abortion that saved a life? And 36 million people. Does those people share any common traits beyond the bipedal nature of their... Uh, inclusion in the human species is there any other thing that might you know gender wise indicate them these people are insane they're stripped of their bodily autonomy you mean like the vaccine mandates you guys support right that kind of bodily autonomy those things well uh, let's not get technical and don't think too hard about what we're saying no 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 we gotta gotta think it doesn't take too much hard thinking it's granted you're democrats and the, you're Basic thoughts are tough, but in general, it's not really that big of a leap to sit there and you're sitting there beating the desk with your shoe like your Khrushchev in the U.N. in 1962 and demanding that uh, we acquiesce and going, we must we must get everybody to get a shot. We must get everybody to get a shot. We mandate the shot. We can fire everybody who doesn't get the shot and then we'll go to their homes and pin them down and get the shot. We don't need bodily autonomy when somebody else's life is at danger. You're risking somebody else's life. Well, you, 
uh, I hate to tell you this, but the end result of an abortion is the death of a, a person. Like if, if things go well, that's a, well, no, that's different. Just a clump of cells. Shut up. Bodily autonomy. Once you just look, you, you don't even have to really scratch the surface. Just look at their words and everything falls apart with the left. There is no logic. There is no rational thought where they go, this makes perfect sense. Yes, of course, we should be able to force you to get an injection of an experimental vaccine that doesn't really work. It's not really a vaccine. It'll give you a couple months of some kind of protection against a variant of the virus that doesn't exist anymore, really, seemingly. Uh, but, yeah, you've got to do it or you're fired. But uh, you absolutely get bodily autonomy if you're a birthing person and you want to have an abortion. In fact, taxpayers must subsidize it. <sighs> the ruling takes blah, blah, blah. Your right to an abortion will likely depend on who your governor is, who your government is, and maybe you should work in that respect. Now our only hope to protect abortion access is in the states, Derek. If we want to stop Republican attacks, we must elect Democratic governors in states across the country who will veto abortion bans and protect reproductive freedom. It's never been more urgent than at this moment. But we need your help to reach our emergency goal before midnight. Again, the manipulation. It's an emergency goal, and it ends at midnight. Why? Why? Well, there is no midnight deadline. Midnight where? It doesn't say midnight Eastern. It doesn't say midnight Pacific time. It doesn't say midnight in Hawaii. It just says by midnight because it's arbitrary. It means nothing. It's after midnight. If I were to click on any of these things, they would absolutely take my money. There's not going to be a link that says, oh, geez, you missed the midnight deadline by like 15 hours. Sorry, we don't we can't take your money anymore. This link is dead. <laughs> Please chip in three dollars to elect Democratic governors across the country who will protect abortion access and stop Republican attacks on abortion. Sincerely, the Democratic Governors Association. Now, this is one of many um, emails that have come in in just the last day since, well, the last uh, 15, 16, 20 hours, whatever it's been, about how important it is to you to give money to people so they can run for office. Now, I would point out that the people you're donating money to are genuinely wildly wealthy. Democratic politicians are way wealthier than Republican politicians. It's kind of funny. Nancy Pelosi, who sends out emails all the time, is worth $300 million. And she begs for just $3. Just If you just give $3 now, it'll make all the difference in the world for our special mid-month deadline. There's no such thing as a mid-month deadline. But there's no such thing as an honest politician either, so why should they be bound by the truth? Okay, so this I... By the way, just a little history on abortion. The Roe v. Wade decision was uh, the, the Roe, Jane Roe, was a woman named Norma McCorvey. She was taken advantage of. They always find the test cases, and they, they hoped it was a... It was a planned case. The left wanted this decision. They'd, they'd set it up. They telegraphed it, and they used her. She was paid a half a million dollars to say what they needed, what they wanted done. Um, she was pressured to lie to say that she had been raped. She never once attended a hearing in the case. 
It was her third pregnancy. She was a drug addict suffering from depression. She was 21 years old. She never actually had an abortion. She died uh, 10 years ago, maybe less, but a few years ago, regretting, regretting her entire life that she was used in the way that she was by the left. The left didn't care. The left did not care. She wrote a book called I Am Roe. You can read all about it, about how the left used her because it was convenient. She was the uh, convenient foil, easily manipulated, uh, young, naive, bought off, thought people were being honest and cared about her, but they didn't. It was a, it was a political assassination. And so she spent the rest of her life weirdly being ignored by the very same media that celebrated the decision that she was the impetus for. But they never bothered to talk to her. They never bothered to, uh, once she came around, once she got off the drugs, once she got her life together, once she uh, became pro-life, she was of no use to the left. And so they stopped caring about her. They stopped caring about her. It's typical of the left. They, uh, they find people and use them. The, the name, what is her? Uh, Cindy Sheehan. Remember Cindy Sheehan? Cindy Sheehan was the darling of the left. Her son, Casey, was killed in Iraq, and she blamed George W. Bush for it. She was willing to, she was a gold star mom willing to go on TV and say outrageous things. And the president of the United States was responsible for her, her son's death. He had to be held accountable. She wanted to confront him. She, why wouldn't the president meet him? She was sleeping in a field and called it Camp Casey. The media set up camp around her. Oh, Camp Casey, day seven in Camp Casey as George W. Bush is down at, in Crawford, Texas. Camp Casey, Camp Casey, Camp Casey. All she wants to do, the reports were, is she wants to meet with the president of the United States. She wants to speak with the president of the United States about her son and what happened to her son. She blames him for it. They never bothered to report that she'd already met with the president of the United States. She had had her private meeting with the president of the United States. She was in the Oval Office. There were photographs of it. The Bush team didn't publicize that she was lying and being manipulated by the left because they wanted to respect, respect a grieving mother. But that was what was going on. That was what was going on. She was a celebrity. She was on the Sunday shows. She was on MSNBC regularly. Chris Matthews, you'd thought, was her roommate. They were, uh, she was on his show so frequently. She would get more and more radical. She got involved with the Code Pink people. She was the poster child for the anti-war movement. Then a funny thing happened that caused her to go away. No, it wasn't the end of the war. It was the end of the Bush administration. As soon as Barack Obama was elected, much like, just like the rest of the anti-war movement, Cindy Sheehan disappeared. The Chris Matthews of the world took out their phones and deleted her contact. She was gone. She was no longer useful to them, so she was gone. Period. End of story. Cindy Sheehan was still out there. Cindy Sheehan was still getting arrested. She was still out there protesting with the Code Pink people. The problem is the Code Pink people were no longer useful to the left either. It was as if the election of 2008 had ended the war, even though the war didn't end. It just ended the anti-war movement. All the anti-war movement went away. They stopped getting coverage. 
Well, there used to be MSNBC and CNN camera crews sent out on the mall in Washington, D.C. to march with the protesters to bring voice to these people. Suddenly, when Barack Obama was elected, the protests still happened. The coverage of the protests stopped. Cindy Sheehan stopped getting invited on hardball. The war didn't end. The war didn't end at all during the Biden or the Obama Biden administration. Just the anti-war protests did. The concern about the war ended. It's weird how that worked. The same thing happened to Norma McCorvey. Once they got their decision, she was disposable. Oh, they care so much about a woman's right to choose. They just don't really care too much about the women, do they? No, they don't. They don't want to talk about, just like they don't want to talk about anybody who detransitions, you know, somebody who goes, who's been convinced, I'm really a woman trapped in a man's body. And they live that way And then when they're 15 and they're celebrated as heroes and they're given reality shows. And then they later on in life go, wait a second, this doesn't feel right either. There's something going on here. Now that I'm out of puberty and the hormones are sort of evened out, I, uh... That was crazy. Why didn't anybody stop me? Why didn't anybody try to talk to me? Why didn't anybody recognize that I was, you know, taking drugs and self-mutilating because of depression issues and not uh, gender dysphoria, but actual, you know, real gender dysphoria, the delusion that I was. They don't care. You're not allowed to tell that story. There was a documentary in the UK a couple of years ago about people who detransitioned. And the regret that they had, the people who had butchered permanently their bodies, for example, made themselves, rendered themselves sterile. Well, that documentary was going to be shown in Canada. And there was outrage. There was protest from the trans community. Now, these people are theoretically members of the trans community, are they not? Just because they detransitioned, they're clearly believers of one degree or another that you can be one thing even though you're not. But no, they demanded, the leftists demanded that that video, that, that documentary not be shown on Canadian television because it would do damage to the trans community. Now, how? If people who are secure in their beliefs and secure in what they've done and secure in their decisions, they don't mind people who disagree with them. They don't mind people who would have differing opinions. But you're not dealing with people who are secure. You're not dealing with people who have these ideas and are comfortable in their own skin. You're dealing with people who went through all sorts of procedures and replacements and inserts and everything and snipping and tucking and rolling and everything, and they're still wildly uncomfortable with it. They don't want to be reminded that other people got out because they're pot committed. They're too far in. They don't want, and most people don't want to be reminded of their mistakes just speculation. Maybe I'm wrong, but it seems to me to be that way. So when the left is done with somebody, they're done with them. The Cindy Sheehan's, maybe the producers at MSNBC would have a little bit of guilt about if they see Cindy Sheehan walking down the street, they go, oh, geez, we, we kind of built her up to be something, and then we just ripped the rug out from under her. Or if they, Norma McCorvey were still alive and they looked at her and said, oh boy, we, we really used and abused her. Maybe we, should, uh, maybe we should see how she's doing. No, 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 no. They don't look back. 
they don't allow themselves to have regret because they'd be riddled with it. They'd be riddled with it. And they don't want that. They want the power. They want the end result. And if you got to stampede a whole bunch of people to do it, who cares? In the name of the progressive agenda, 100 million people were killed in the last century. What's a couple more amongst friends? Am I right? I'm right. Yeah, I'm right. They, uh, by the way, the, the uh, Supreme Court, let's see, they've just released a letter here. They released a letter today. Yesterday, a news, this is from, uh, just from the Supreme Court. Yesterday, a news organization published a copy of a draft opinion in a pending case. Justices circulate draft opinions internally as a routine and essential part of the court's confidential deliberative work. Although the document described in yesterday's reports is authentic, it does not represent a decision by the court or the final position of any member on the issues in the case. Chief Justice John G. Roberts Jr. provided the following statement, quote, to the extent this betrayal of the confidences of the court was intended to undermine the integrity of our operations, it will not succeed. The work of the court will not be affected in any way. We at the court are blessed to have a workforce, permanent employees and law clerks alike, intensely loyal to the institution and dedicated to the rule of law. Court employees have an exemplary and important tradition of respecting the confidentiality of the judicial process and upholding the trust of the court. This was a singular and egregious breach of that trust that is an affront to the court and the community of public servants who work here. I have directed the marshal of the court to launch an investigation into the source of the leak. Well, Roberts isn't going to take my advice and fire everybody. Or threaten to fire everybody. I guess that makes some sense. If you did this, you don't have integrity. So you can't say, well, I appeal to the person's integrity. And uh, you can come and save everybody else's job if you just come back. You're dealing with somebody who doesn't have integrity. Just for a mocking sense, I want to play you this audio of California Congresswoman Katie Porter. She's very, very upset. She keeps on going on about how she's a single mother. She's a divorced mother, and you can see why her husband probably ran for the hills. But she's very, very... I've never seen... I don't understand... I get that if you're indifferent towards it, if you're indifferent towards abortion, you know, fine. The odds of this woman who's um, passed the change, it being an issue... But wanting abortion on behalf of somebody else, just, it seems really bizarre to me. I don't know, maybe because there's no male equivalent. But even when I identify as a woman, I don't get it. Hmm. But it's just bizarre to me to get this worked up, this excited, aroused almost, the prospect of an abortion. Somebody must be having an abortion. If somebody isn't getting an abortion right now, I will, uh, I will, I will impregnate somebody so they can have an abortion. That's how committed to abortion these leftists are. Listen to Katie Porter. Now, she's a mother, single mother. She's bragging on how she's uh, using her victim status as a single mother. She's a member of Congress. She's wealthy. And uh, you can see why her husband said, eh, that's the news, folks, and I am out of here. I cannot be around this. But this is the priority of the left. You ask any man who's paying child support and struggling to do that. You ask any woman, any single mom like me, 
who is just in the middle of making pesto pasta for a kid who's isolating with COVID and trying to do her job. The last thing I needed tonight was a lecture from Justice Alito about how easy it is today to be a parent. Every child in this country should be wanted and every person should have the fundamental liberty to make the decision. And for the Supreme Court to lecture single moms like me, women who are being faced with the risk of maternal death from pregnancy, this is a fundamental assault on freedom. And what I feel mostly tonight is anger and a deep sense of sadness that my daughter, Betsy, and my sons, Luke and Paul, are gonna live in a world with less freedom than I did, my mother, or my grandmother. That is a terrible setback for this country. That's your mother, your grandmother? That's going back a ways. Roe v. Wade was not around until 1973. How old's your grandmother? <laughs> I just, my grandmother, my great-grandmother, my this, my that, my the other one. And I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? Katie Porter's 48. You had 20. Your mother's probably 68, seven in her 70s. Grandma, if she's still around, is in her 90s probably, at the youngest. I don't think that grandma lived in that world. Could you imagine? I'm sad that my children will grow up, my daughter will grow up in a world where she's not going to be able to have an abortion as easily as she wants. You live in California, Katie. Your kid will be able to have all the abortion she wants. Your sons will be able to impregnate all the birthing persons that they want, provided they do not identify as something else. Uh, They'll be able to have, uh, inseminate as many people as they can and uh, they can tube in them, force them to try to get abortion, whatever it is. Nothing's going to change for you, you weirdo. Ah, as a single mother, as a single mother, as a single mother, her husband, her ex-husband is sitting there somewhere going, you see now, you see now, probably with his new wife. You see now what I'm talking about? You see now why I left? Yeah, yeah, I do. <laughs> God, I don't get these people. I, I am so glad I don't get these people. Uh, Speaking of not getting these people, lastly, I want to play Hillary Clinton, the Met Gala. The Met Gala is a giant fundraiser for something or who cares. It's all the fashion snobs and all the liberal lefties in New York go there. AOC went last year with her tax the rich dress. I don't know. I didn't see anything about her going this this year. But Hillary Clinton went this year. People dress up like idiots. They do. You look at these costumes that these morons wear and you're just like, what's... What's wrong with you people? Can you just how about instead of pissing away all the money to go and you know put on this event for charity? It's a charity event. How about you you get the money from the rich, you know, jagoffs who go to it, and you take the money, the hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars you're spending to put this on, and you just give all that to charity. You just skip it. But liberals won't give to charity unless they're getting something out of it. And publicity is one thing. Uh, attention is another. And Hillary wanted attention. She wore a dress, a very special custom-made dress. Uh, listen to her describe it. We're all happy to be back together supporting the museum and the Costume Institute uh, and also celebrating America. Uh, the uh, Not just fashion of America, but really the spirit of America. And... So when I was thinking about my dress, um, I talked with Joseph Alteruza, who is a wonderful young designer, as you know, and he suggested some embroidery of meaningful words. And I said, well, what about American women in the past who have inspired me? 
So I would have filled the entire dress. <laughs> uh, we decided to stick with women who were no longer with us because that would have really made it impossible to have even one dress um, if I had everyone on it that I admire. Uh, so this, you know, we have everyone from Abigail Adams and Sacagawea to Harriet Tubman to Eleanor Roosevelt to Shirley Chisholm to Madeleine Albright, who we just lost. And I thought it would be historic to wear a dress like that and really in keeping with the evening. Historic. It would just be his. She's a champion of women, don't you know, that Hillary Diane Rodham Clinton Jr. the uh, third. If she really wanted a dress with an unlimited train, really, really long train, this champion of women could have had a dress with the women that Bill Clinton the sexually assaulted or raped embroidered on it. But that dress would be probably 40, 50 yards long. But this champion of women who handled the bimbo eruptions, she cares about women. We're out of time for today. I appreciate the use of your ears. Have a great one. We'll be back tomorrow.